Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, April 26th, the Joyless Slog edition. I'm Gabriel Roth. I'm an editor at Slate, and I am the father of Eliza, who's seven, and Leo, who is three and three quarters. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, a podcaster and journalist in New Hampshire, and I am mom to my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 17, my son, Henry, who is 16, and my other son, Teddy, who is 15. And I'm Allison Benedict, also an editor at Slate, and the mom of Harry, who is nine, Sam, seven, and Wally, five. Carvel will be back with us next week. Today on our show, we have a question about teenage drinking, and we have another about how incredibly difficult and overwhelming it is to have two small children. Plus, as always, uh, we'll have triumphs and fails. We'll have recommendations on Slate Plus. Rebecca has an update on her son's college search, and we'll perhaps have more details on his preference for what I generously referred to a couple weeks ago as stupid, crappy colleges. First, <laughs> though, it's time for triumphs and fails. Allison, do you want to go first? Sure. I'll go first. Do it. Um, I have a fail. It's sort of a global long-term fail, but it's been uh, pointed out more recently to me um, and clarified that it really is a true fail. So my husband, John, and I, we have fairly different, I wouldn't call them philosophies, but approaches to discipline. His natural state is to think that every uh, action that is out of line requires a consequence. Um, And so he He's like big. He punishes a lot. Not anything like horrific, but like go to your room, no dessert, no TV. That's like the way that he approaches bad behavior. Um, and I, I feel like my instinct is not to do that. Uh, but over the years, he's worn me down. We fought a lot about it, and um, it's just qu- sort of become just like a regular part of the way our household works. Our kids are wild. They're wonderful. They often misbehave. And there's a lot of either actual punishment or the threat of punishment to stop bad behavior. If you don't stop doing you know, X, then no dessert, no book, no TV. It's usually that sort of thing. With also the, you know, if you do this, then you'll get this. So it's just this cycle of punishment and reward that I hate and have always wanted to get out of, um, but have kind of not known any other way. Anyway, this year, Wally, who is five, has been struggling with controlling his emotions And his anger has come out uh, more frequently in hitting and kicking. It started with me. It moved on to his teachers and has expanded to um, uh, also target his friends. Um, And his teacher earlier in the year suggested maybe we should get him a little help to see a feelings doctor to help him figure out how to deal with those feelings in a more productive way and also to help us uh, figure out how to help him. And I was never resistant to this, but it took us a while because I was under the foolish impression that you could find someone, um, a therapist that would be covered by insurance, which does not happen. So (laughs) we probably took too long to even get going on this, um, which I regret, but that's not the fail that I wanted to talk about. Anyway, we finally got started while he's been going once a week. I can't say we've seen any 
um, changes yet, but I think it's, you know, it's a it's a longer term project, not like you're going to see changes after three sessions. But we just went for our first parent session after he had gone a couple times on his own. So the therapist got to know him a little bit. And one of the things that we ended up talking about, or really the thing we ended up talking about was exactly that, that this cycle of punishment was not doing him, punishment reward was not was not helping him. And we talked about strategies for, you know, other approaches um, for when he's hitting. It seems so it's very difficult when a kid is hitting you to think like there shouldn't be a consequence to to that. So we've just been struggling with this. And we've really it's just been the past week that we've been trying to manage the household in a different way. Uh, it's a really hard habit to break. Um, and it's also hard. It's really hard to stop bad behavior without threats. Really hard. What's the like? What does the therapist say is the alternative to threatening and punishment? Well, we sort of like time was up right when we got to that part. Hmm. <laughs> um, there was a there. I mean, one suggestion was really to do like not frame anything as like a timeout, but just like if I need a break, like if he's hit, hitting and kicking me, it's okay for me to say like that hurts my feelings and my body, and I need a break, and so I'm you know I'm going over here, and you can go over there. It's not a punishment, but everybody needs to take a break from each other. That sounds nice, but the fact is he just follows me and his anger continues and I haven't figured out quite how to um how to turn that into something positive, but it is different than saying, All right, no dessert. Like that's and and it is, I find, um, you know, I think that the the cycle of of reward and punishment in some instances really escalates things Mm -hmm. it makes them more mad it's like more frustrating um but it's hard to figure out yeah what to do instead what do you guys do we have a thing where i don't know that this is like this is it's not count as a recommendation this is like it's not it's you're not a medical doctor right this is like instinctive response (laughs) um but i have a deal with them where like they're neither of them is like a big hitter they act out in other ways um but whenever they've done it my response has been okay i see that you're really mad and i can tell you're mad and i understand why you're mad I, i i get your feelings and if you really need to act them out physically then you can punch my hand and i'll put my palm out and they can like wail on my hand for a while and it i i it i don't think it would work with somebody for whom hitting and kicking is necessarily their main outlet for that kind of aggression but it like lets them exhaust themselves a little bit and then it feels a little silly to them and it turns into a game that's yeah. basically how it works i mean we've us. definitely tried to like hit the pillow instead hit the you know um but yeah i hadn't i don't think I don't know if it would make sense for it to have him hit me in a different place. Yeah, but I can see why yeah. someone might recommend against that. What works about it, especially with Leo, who's littler, what works is that I can be like, oh, that's so hard. Oh, you're hitting me yeah. so hard. Oh, you're so <laughs> strong. Oh, you're knocking me over. Um, and then it can be satisfying to yeah. him like that. You're a cute dad. Yeah. Oh. It's tough, I think, because like what you're talking about, the kind of personality that their you know, first instinct is to hit or kick when they get mad is it going to be the same kind of personality that's going to under that's going to be able to tie like a consequence that they had two weeks ago with the same behavior to the behavior they're doing now? Like, no, that's like an impulsive, uh, physical reaction. And I think I don't remember this exact like order of things, but you know, dealing with something similar with Teddy when he was little, that the whole teaching kids to recognize those physicality signs and then teaching them to interrupt the cycle can be really really helpful but i do think you need to have another <laughs> i think like running out of time right before they got to that was probably not no yeah we're definitely going back helpful. we're definitely going back <laughs> um but yes that was a 
that's my fail. Oh. Rebecca, what about you? Triumph or fail? I have a triumph. I don't know how um, triumphant you guys will think this is, but um, do you guys remember the Mad TV skit from the 90s where they would make fun of uh, dating sites and they, it was called Lowered Expectations? No, <laughs> like, I do yeah. not remember that. <laughs> okay, I, well, I feel like now I could reverse engineer it from the description. <laughs> yeah. though. It was really, really good. It's classic, and it's on YouTube. We can maybe share that later. But anyway, I've been trying really, really hard, as you know, struggling a lot with Teddy and his inability to do homework and his, you know, real struggles with just getting through the stuff in school that other kids just seem to be able to do. Because if he, like, all of his friends say, and um, everybody who knows him says, like, if he were just even care, just like. A tiny bit, he'd be great, but he doesn't, so he's not. So that's just the way it is. So we've put this like tutoring thing in place just to help him get his homework done. We've like put all these things in place, you know. Meanwhile, you know, his brother like is straight A's, and it's we never have to do anything. So for a long time, it's been like a real struggle, and I have been comparing Teddy, like a lot of parents do, to his potential, rather than comparing him to previous quarters or comparing him to where he could be if he wasn't following the program that his tutor put in place or whatever. So report cards just came out and, you know, Teddy got a report card that I think a year ago before I've gotten to this place, the place that I like to call the lowered expectations (laughs) place, um, I would have been really frustrated. You know, he got he got a couple of decent grades, like a 90 in English, 90 in uh, history and 85 in science. He got all hundreds in all his music classes, but then he got a 69 in German nice, and a 71 in algebra. And when I opened this report card, for real, the first feeling I had, and it was real, was pride and relief because I'm like, he passed everything. <laughs> because there was a point earlier this year where I was worried about that. And they ended last year, like, he might not pass things. And like, he's in high school now. If he doesn't pass German... He's got to start with a whole new language next year. And it's going to be like three more years of trying to get him to get through language classes. So I'm just like, you got to, he, he clearly does not want to do this foreign language thing. I'm like, you just got to pass. You just got to get through this year. You just got to be done. And when I saw that 69, like I could not have been more proud. And I realized that for me, that's like a huge triumphant leap where I have, I, I don't want to say lowered, but changed my expectations and really put them in line with the struggles that he has and with, you know, my knowledge of how bright he is and all the stuff that I put into the mix, I think I'm finally starting to be able to set that aside and just be like, yeah, I passed. Like, it feels good. I mean, maybe that doesn't sound great, but it feels really good. I think it sounds really great, actually. Yeah. (laughs) I remember being, I remember when I was in school and, and I heard a lot about potential as well. And it was unbelievably alienating like being told that there was some like platonic ideal version of me that I was failing to live up to just seemed both unfair and completely demotivating Um, and I remember a good friend of mine her dad said to her you know any effort you put in beyond what's required to achieve whatever goal you're shooting for is just wasted effort (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I, <laughs> that made so much more sense to me. Figure out, like, right. what does he need? He needs to graduate. He needs to get a particular set of grades to go to whatever college or whatever the next step is. And then, like, make sure he hits that and, and you want a little margin of error. But then uh, beyond that, like, why is he a good, Why is he meant to obsess over some arbitrary number on some t- – anyway, I found that that was much more motivating to me to think in that way. <laughs> Did he feel any pride? My friend? No. Oh, uh, Teddy? Teddy? Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. He's like psyched. He was just like, yeah, passed. He actually did really well on his all the exams. You know, the grades are terrible because he doesn't do the regular like work, the baseline, like homework, the stuff that's expected. But, you know, because he's bright, he's able to like, he's like the kind of smart that like when we were this kind of smart in high school, we were fine because it, the workload was just not the same as it is now. Like I never studied. I never did my homework and it didn't really affect me. I did fine on the test. And so my grades were fine. And he still has that ability to sort of just show up and do that. And um, I don't know. So he was really excited just to not have me tell him like, oh, if you don't pass German, you're going to have to take Spanish or something next year. But, you know, if you do pass, like you can be just done. So now we just have to get him through like, what, 12 more weeks or whatever it is. Of this, And um, hopefully we get 69 or higher the next time around, too, in this particular class. And we can all go home with our expectations having been met. Awesome. I have a, a triumph, and and it's a triumph that my wife gets to take most of the credit for, but I participated, and so I'm going to count it as my triumph, too. It's the, the endless problem of getting the kids out the door into school in the morning, and it's been really bad over the last few months because since Eliza learned how to read, she wants to be reading all the time. And so she'll like rush through her breakfast and then grab her book and sit down with her book. And you have to be like, hey, quit reading your book and brush your teeth. And she goes and brushes her teeth as fast as she can and then goes and picks up her book again. There's no sense that like there's an ongoing process of getting ready to go that's happening. It's more like what discreet thing have you bugged her about doing that she then has to do to interrupt her reading. It's been terrible. Anyway, so we implemented a chart and she has a list of tasks that she has to perform and she has to check each one off on the chart. And when she's checked a whole column off, then she marks at the bottom. She gets a little heart. And then once she gets a whole row of those, then she gets a new book next week or in two weeks. And um, being able to redirect her to the chart rather than naming the task, like not saying to her, okay, you have to brush your teeth still and you have to put on your socks and you have to brush your hair, but saying to her, are you done? Go check your chart. Um, has made a world of difference. And like now, sometimes on a good day such as today, she will herself take responsibility for going all the way down the chart and doing all of the steps. And then she'll like mark the bottom and be like, now I have, how much time do I have to read? And we can say, you have 15 uninterrupted minutes to read. And um, it it really, in, uh, in ter- she cognitively is, not going to be able to remember all of those things and having it written down and having the steps to take and and all of that and ha- giving us a thing to say that doesn't require us to be like up in her business so specifically every time but just like are you done with your chart um, has been a great triumph and um, I probably get at least 20 to 25% of the credit for it so that's my triumph <laughs> of this week uh, That's smart, it reminds me actually of an old Dan Coy's triumph from years ago when we did the show together, he also struggled with his daughter, one of his daughters who uh, loved to read in the morning and he couldn't get at the door. And I think they were just like doing like she was reading and then it was always like the you know the last five minutes like screaming, get your shoes, get your whatever. And they just changed the order and said, you can't pick up your book until you, you know, have eaten your breakfast and have complete like are like are by the door with your shoes and your backpack on and then you can sit there and read. Yeah. And she, she would do all those steps very quickly and then have a bunch of time to read and it worked out well for everyone. That's good. Bar- banning reading until the chart is checked off is <laughs> yeah. like the next level <laughs> yeah. of this. Yeah, maybe we'll do that when she starts to backslide. <laughs> Thanks, Dan backslide. Yeah, of course. Um, no, any triumph that works for like three weeks is as great a triumph as you and can And you think for. like, I've got it all figured out. Yep. Right. It's about getting through the day, guys. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. Technology and politics are moving closer and closer together. And I think it is important uh, to take a look at the power and influence that Amazon has. And these big tech companies aren't just shaping debate, they're shaping the way we live and work. This was a huge breach of trust. People come to Facebook every day and they depend upon us to protect their data. I'm April Glazer. And I'm Will Oremus. We're the hosts of If Then, Slate's new podcast that decodes the heavy tech news flying out of Washington, Silicon Valley, and beyond. Every week, we bring you up to speed on everything from the Russian hacking scandal to the machines that help decide your local voting maps. Find If Then wherever you get your podcasts. Before we move on, let's do the business. As always, if you have a question that you would like us to answer on air, you can leave us a message at 424-255-7833 or send us an email at momandadatslate.com. Uh, another reminder, we have moved our Facebook presence. Just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook or go to facebook.com slash groups slash Slate Parenting. Uh, there is some great discussion going on over there. On Slate Plus today, we're going to follow up with Rebecca about her son Henry's college search and her complicated feelings about that. If you want to hear that segment and another segment like that every week, uh, sign up for Slate Plus. Slate Plus is our membership program for just $35 for your first year. You get ad-free extended editions of every episode of Mom and Dad are Fighting and your other favorite Slate podcasts, plus a lot of other great benefits, and you help us produce the show. So if you want to support Mom and Dad are Fighting, go to our special URL, slate.com slash momanddadplus. That's how we know that you came to the uh, Slate Plus program through Mom and dad are fighting slate.com slash mom and dad plus and join slate plus today okay let's go time for our first question this one came to us by email if you've got a question send it to mom and dad at slate.com this one is from Allie. it's being read for us by paroma sony she's the video intern at slate my husband and i both work full-time and have two small kids ages three and a half and 18 months who are both in daycare together we also have an aging dog my husband manages drop off and i pick up but I'm definitely overwhelmed by the effort required to get them dressed, fed, packed in the morning, and then the evening routine. We don't have any additional help besides bi-weekly house cleaning and pre-made meals a few times a week. First, I could use some encouraging words that we will survive this period. Most days I feel as though my parenting experience is a repetitive, joyless slog. I try to plan activities and family outings and weekends, but they always seem to end up in tears, tantrum, or my husband and I in a terrible mood. This leads me to feel discouraged about even planning activities. There are definitely sweet moments, but for the most part it feels like we just alternate between tantrum and saving a toddler from injury. I feel alone about having these feelings, as most of our friends don't have two kids, and those that do have either a spouse staying home or a full-time nanny. How can we help ourselves more? How can I cope better? Will we survive? Thanks, Allie. 
Okay, so first off, some encouraging words. You, you will survive this period, although the you that comes out on the other side of it will be very different and, and perhaps a, a seemingly a hollow shell of the version of you <laughs> that went in. <laughs> you, you, you will have lost a lot of your youthful vigor and idealism, and you will come out maybe with a more realistic appraisal of the opportunities and possibilities of, uh, of the world. On the plus side, your dog might pass away, and so you'll have one less thing to take care of. <laughs> that, that, was, that was a thought that I had as well. Yeah, it's a good thing that the dog is aging, and, and as soon as the dog is gone, it will be a lot easier. I know. Sorry, Allison. that was very callous, but I, yes, I mean, I, our dog, who I struggled with taking care of as we added children to our family, I will say that our routines are easier without him. Same. But everything you're talking about is totally normal. Uh, We all have felt and continue to feel at times, I'm sure, that parenting is a repetitive, joyless slog. Uh, We all have planned fun weekend activities that end with the kids, that start with the kids kids whining and end with them complaining. The morning routine is a rat race. The night routine can feel like it can go on forever. Um, Somehow they end up continuing to like add steps as they get older. The younger kid is 18 months, which is mm. the, the spread here of three and a half and one and a half is just a terrible set of ages, I do feel like. Like it, it's rarely going to be as bad as when you have yeah. a three and a half year old and a one and a half year old. Yeah. That's what I had. I had kids who were 18 months apart and I hated being a parent for the first like, I'm not going to lie, like five years of their lives. So for the first five years of like Ted, of like Henry's life, especially after Teddy was born, was miserable and I couldn't understand why other people seem to enjoy it so much like I was always asking that question like to my I was a stay-at-home mom for a few years and I was like going to these baby groups and even when you are a stay-at-home mom and you ostensibly have more time to get all this stuff done like if you're the kind of person who doesn't think it's fun to sit in a playground while your kids are playing and you know every 10 minutes someone's going to fall and scrape a knee and cry. I mean, I would look around and see other mothers who appeared to enjoy this activity, and I didn't get it. I didn't get it at all. (laughs) So the answer is, yeah, it gets better because your kids turn it from kids into people uh, more sooner than you think when they can interact more and actually talk to you and respond in a way that makes sense and doesn't seem stupid and boring. Um, But I completely relate to what she's talking about. I hated that phase of being a parent. I found it very difficult. And, you know, I'm not saying like it did not cause my divorce, but I got divorced like in that phase. My kids were four and six when I got divorced. Um, And then I realized I think I just kind of got my act together and started enjoying it more when I was single and didn't and had to. I mean, I had no choice. So I found ways to make things fun. I think that was when I discovered that, like, you could just put kids to bed the night before and the clothes they're going to wear to school the next morning and like they don't stink yet. So it's fine. Um, So that's one tip that I I think also, I I mean, hopefully it will help you to hear that this is all very normal and um, familiar to us. And so hopefully that in itself is comforting. But there are a couple of things. I mean, you could get a mother's helper. I don't know what your neighborhood is like, um, Allie, or where you live. But I feel like in a lot of neighborhoods, there are listservs where you could, you know, possibly post looking for a teenager who's looking to pick up a couple of hours who could maybe come just, you know, for an hour to help you out with the 18th month old or read to the three and a half year old while you're putting the other one to bed. Like, and that's not very expensive if you if you can find a teenager as opposed to trying to find a nanny for just those, you know, like a adult to actually help you out during those hours. I mean, I don't there's no shame in getting a little help if that's if that would would help you. Um, Also, in terms of like the weekend activities, I don't know what kind of stuff you're planning. I still force 
things on my family that I think they will enjoy. Um, and sometimes it works. I mean, hiking is a big thing. Like I really love to hike and I'm, they never want to go. And then we usually end up having fun, but sometimes not. But I've also learned that like maybe sometimes I should just go to Funplex because they like to go to Funplex and play crappy arcade games and eat bad food. <laughs> and I think it's like a nightmare. And yet they have a lot of fun. And ultimately, like that was kind of the point. So I don't know. I'm not judging what sorts of things you're planning. But if you're planning things that are like... um you know, beyond what your kids actually want to do, maybe scale back those, lower your expectations, as Rebecca would say. Those are two really hard ages to come up with good activities for, right? The little one can barely walk, is just starting to walk, and the bigger one, like, can sort of do stuff but has to keep coming back and, like, touching you every couple (laughs) of seconds, like, can't be out of your orbit for more than 30 seconds at a time. A padded room is the only appropriate environment to take those kids to right now together. You could. There's children's (laughs) museums, which are fun if you don't mind the entire family catching the flu. Yeah. Uh, but but <laughs> other than that, in, the, in Brooklyn, there's a transit museum where they can literally get on an old subway train and then get off the old subway train for half an hour. And you're like, OK, good. Half an hour of, of t- this Sunday afternoon is now gone. Now I only have to deal with the next three and a half hours. But like activities are are concentrate on like, can everybody just chill together for a little bit? And and then once you get that down, then maybe you can level up and go for some activities. You know what I mean? Think of activities as like maybe something that you'll build up to rather than something that you have to schedule for every available weekend day. Also, right. I don't know how you use television, but when I had three kids uh, under the age of, I guess, six it was, I definitely was using at night TV to keep one of them uh, in place while I dealt with the other ones. <laughs> yeah, what, one of the things that I always found too was that when I broke, especially in the weekend activity thing, when I broke the cycle of what other people were doing, it just worked better. So I remember when the kids were really young, I still have pictures from this. I think Teddy was about 18 months old. You know, all my friends with kids were like, oh, we spent the whole day at the beach or the lake. And I'm like, how the hell did you do that? Like, how did you get your stuff packed to do that thing and then spend the whole day there and like actually come home and look like you had a good time? And what I found out what worked for me was that like we would be able to do it, but only if I went at like four when everybody was leaving and there was no one there and I would bring dinner instead of trying to pack lunch. So it took me like I had more time to sort of get my act together and put things together. And then, you know, we'd be coming home and they'd fall asleep in the car and because we'd been at the beach for dinner like I could just carry them right into bed and it felt like when we got home like it wasn't just like oh my god it was like it actually felt like the end of something but it really took and I'm guessing that this is what this mom is experiencing too like stop listening to what your friends are doing with their kids and thinking that your experience has to be the same as what theirs because it doesn't because it doesn't work for you then you can just change it and do something differently. So let's talk a little bit about the it gets better part of this because definitely like when that younger kid gets to be three and a half and the older kid is five and a half, it's going to be a completely different ballgame, right? The older kid is going to be able to entertain themselves for like – 45 minutes at a stretch if they learn to once they learn to read then that gets even longer the younger kid can actually have a conversation with you instead of just being annoying all the time um there's gonna and then there's gonna be a point where they become like they have an independent relationship the two kids and so they can like squabble with each other or play with each other or the other day my kids went i sent them downstairs after dinner to get ready for bed and instead they mischievously put on their dress-up clothes 
And and so like 20 minutes later, I come downstairs and they've been having so much fun doing this like naughty thing of like, I'm dressed as a witch and I'm dressed as Batman. And <laughs> part of it is like, oh, that's so adorable. I love you guys. But part of it is like that was 20 minutes when I wasn't really thinking about right. them at all. Right. <laughs> and they didn't die. No, they were just and they were happier than they had been the whole time that we were together. Yeah. Anyway, that's it gets gonna, better. Yeah, it gets a lot better. All right, Allie, I hope that was uh, helpful to you. Um, shoot us another email in like two, two and a half years uh, and let us know if it did in fact get better or if it still feels like a repetitive joyless log. Because there are still the repetitive joyless log elements, but they're now more diluted with like, oh, actually, I can see why it's quite nice to have children as yes. well. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Okay, time for us to take another question. This one came over our voicemail. You could uh, voicemail us at 424-255-7833. Voicemail us. Is that a transitive <laughs> verb? I'm not sure. Give it, it a now. try. G- give it a go, uh, and you'll find out. 424-255-7833. This call is from Kelly in Alabama. Hi, Mom and Dad are fighting. This is Kelly from Coleman, Alabama, again. I loved your advice so much in the past. I thought I'd throw a new one at you you today. Our 15-year-old spent the night at the home of one of his best friends, who I'll call John. There were three or four other of their friends over also. Long story short, they made a bonfire out in the field behind John's house. That's not the bad part, by the way. Later, John's mom busted them drinking. Yay! Why she didn't call us immediately, I don't know. But maybe I wouldn't have either. I don't know. We really feel like John is a good kid, but we question whether or not we should let our son be around him so much. This is the first time our son has been in trouble when around John, but this is not John's first time to be in some trouble, although what happened before had nothing to do with alcohol, drugs, etc., I know it may sound crazy after what happened to say we are struggling with what to do here, but all of these boys have been friends since elementary school, and they've played football together since elementary school, and they probably will until they graduate high school. But if John's going to make alcohol available, and apparently our kid doesn't have the sense to stay away, then what do we do? We can't be around them 24-7. By the way, on a scarier note, Alcoholism runs in both sides of our family, and we know our son understands this because that he understands his um, hereditary predisposition to the disease because we talk about it with him all the time. He obviously doesn't believe it, but we have made him aware. So there you have it, guys. What's your best advice? What do you think we should do? Love the show. Can't wait to hear from you. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Yeah, so Kelly, uh, I'm with you. 
and 15, I hate to say, Allison and Gabe sounds about right for when these shenanigans start happening with teenagers. It's certainly when it started happening with my older son. I also live in a place where kids build bonfires behind uh, a family's house and hang out. Sometimes they camp outside. You know, they sort of have this period of time where you think they're having wholesome fun. And then you find out, as I did, you know, like a year later that, oh, no, they were drinking and smoking pot that whole time. (laughs) And it's shocking and it's uh, horrible. And uh, I think that what you need to do is realize, first of all, I'm relieved to hear that this mom busted them and that this mom wasn't providing them with the alcohol. That would be a different conversation or that she was fine with it. And then that's a, a whole other dynamic you have to deal with that I've, you know, had to deal with as well on uh, to, to a small degree here. But yeah, this is a, a really important to hide time to have some serious conversations with your son about his relationship with substance use, his relationship with drinking, his relationship with uh, drug taking. It is not practical to say you can never be with your friends again and do the things that your friends do and live in the social environment they live in. It is practical to say you don't have to participate in the activities that they're doing that are bad choices for you. Uh, It doesn't mean that you are going to be put in a position where you're making value judgments on your friend, but it I don't think it's possible to wrap your kids up in bubble wrap and isolate them from a world where teenagers drink. Because as I have learned now having teenagers, teenagers drink. We can like think that they don't. We can think our teenagers won't. We can think that our teenagers' friends who are like all honor society students and who are all, you know, wholesome and who you know all of their parents and you've known them all since they were in preschool. You can think like these kids will never drink. I wish that were true. I really do. Um, So what I would say is this. Because the other mom is aware and you are aware, I'd have some candid conversations with John's mom if he's your son's best friend and say, I think we're in this together. Like, we don't want our kids drinking when we have these sleepovers. So why don't we just make sure we look out for each other and don't do that? Why don't we make sure that we don't Um, you know, let them sit out by the bonfire and just pretend that everything's fine and not go out and check on them once in a while. And then also with your own son, have some really honest and serious conversations about drinking and also try to keep that line of communication open because if he's done it, he's probably going to do it again. And I think what's important is that he understands that he can tell you if things go awry. He can tell you when he's uncomfortable. He can tell you if one of his friends is really screwing up and making mistakes and doing things that he knows are unhealthy. And that every time he has one of these conversations with you, it won't turn into a hysterical screaming match. When those lines of communication are are far more open and you accept the realities of teenage life and all the perils they bring and you say to your son, I love you. I know this is your reality. I don't plan on putting in bubble wrap and not letting you go anywhere. But here are uh, the responsibilities that I think you should uphold. And here here are the guidelines that I'd like you to live by. What do you think they are? And you actually let them actively participate in that conversation. You'll be amazed at how the behavior can shift, how your kid will start to see those situations differently when it goes from being like a clandestine thing that only he and his friends know about to a conversation he's always having with his mom and, you know, knows he's going to have and one where there's not going to be horrible consequences every time he tells you that one of his friends, you know, got drunk and threw up and and you're able to just talk about it and have the dialogue be open. Their view of the behavior changes. I mean, I know that my kid, 
uh, doesn't party like he did when he first discovered the world of partying because we've talked about it enough and we talk about it so frequently that he's just come to realize, oh, yeah, this is like a thing that, you know, that I shouldn't be doing. Or I don't want to do. I don't want to be the kind of kid whose parents have to have these kinds of conversations with each other. I don't want to be the kind of kid who might get arrested at a party at somebody's house. I don't want to be that kind of kid. And, you know, I've seen a real change since those lines of communication opened up. Um, you know, there might be more to do, but I would definitely start there. I want to disagree with you to make this a more interesting show, but I basically agree with everything you said. I'm not like when you said sorry, Gabe and Allison, to tell you that teenagers drink. I'm not at all scandalized. I drank uh, at 15, maybe at 14. It seems very uh, normal. Obviously, you have a, a specific family history, Kelly, that you're also concerned about. That makes sense to me. And that is why. Having the conversations uh, with your son are additionally important. Um, but I think that conversation has to be, like Rebecca said, about figuring out how he will be around alcohol, not uh, presenting it as like you can no longer be around your friends who drink. You will never drink. Like, I, I just don't think that that's reasonable or uh, likely to pan out anyway. Um, I also think like whatever open lines of communication you have with your kids, they're going to lie when they're teenagers. And that's you're you're not going to probably ever prevent that. And to some degree, I think you probably want your kids to feel out um, where they uh, are comfortable doing things that you're not okay with and hiding things from you. I mean, that's part of growing up. But I definitely don't think from the circumstance that you described on the call, at least, that that is um, any reason for him to not be friends with John anymore or for you to panic. Yeah, I, I, this is a harm reduction situation, I think. Um, like, you know, we can say, oh, it would be, you know, teenagers shouldn't be drinking alcohol. Your kids shouldn't be drinking alcohol. But as everybody says, your kid's going to be drinking alcohol as a teenager. So then the question becomes, are they going to be binge drinking? Are they going to be drinking every weekend? Are they going to be like driving, sne- driving drunk right. or drive or getting in cars with kids who are drunk? Are they going to be sneaking a drink uh, before school? Are they going to be like hiding vodka in their closet? There's all kinds of things that you actually can prevent, that you can talk to them about, not by giving them direct specific suggestions about what to hide where. Um, But you can let them know that like this is a thing that adults have to learn how to manage for themselves, that you and your family have a particular challenge with managing because of your genetic predisposition to alcoholism and and that figuring that out is going to be something that he has to do very consciously over the course of his life. and hopefully that, as Rebecca says, leaves those pathways open. The other thing about driving, which um, the parents of somebody I know did, was is to say, if at any point you're about to get into a car driven by someone who's been drinking, you can at any time call me and wake me up and I'll come and pick you up and we won't even discuss it. I'll just take yep. you home and then you'll go to school the next day and we won't talk about it, which I don't know that that ever happens. Like, I don't know that the teenager then actually makes that call. But knowing that the kid's safety and the the harm reduction aspect is more important than I forbid you to drink. And if I ever find out you've been drinking, then I will come down on you like the wrath of God. Uh, it seems like an important message to send as well. Yeah, and I think I think it's good to have a bunch of those messages. So that's one that we have. Another one is like when you've got friends over, everyone's sleeping over. Period. If Henry has a group of friends over in the evening, everyone stays over. Period. It's like it's like not it's not even like a question. So if they're going to be friends over, especially like after we go to bed, so if they're hanging out outside or if they're playing video games or whatever, like 
I'm not saying like that I know they're drinking or that I'm permitting drinking. I just don't know. I don't know what somebody may have brought in their backpack. And I don't know. And there's no way for me to know. And there's no, you know, Henry and I may have a great line of communication, but I don't have that with his friends. So, you know, our harm reduction thing, one of the rules is like everyone stays over all the time. Or if you're at somebody's house uh, and, you know, you don't have to... You can just tell me you want to stay and, you know, it, if if I need you to come home, I'll come get you. That's like kind of the thing. We also have a list that we've been talking about since the kids were little. It's grown. It used to be five, but now I think it's up to like 11. Like things you should never do, like the kind, like drugs you should never try and never do. And, you know, and the, the things that are on that list are characterized by two things, things that can kill you the first time you do them and things that no one ever does one time. Those are the, <laughs> that's what's made it onto that list. And we're we're really clear about it like heroin is on the list no you know bath salts you could eat somebody's face that's on the list no um and it's it's we're just very very clear about it and i think one of the things about being clear about a list like that with like the really dire stuff is that you're not saying alcohol is okay pot's okay but you are saying because it's true that there are degrees of danger and it's really important for you to understand that like Drinking a beer is not a slippery slope to heroin. Heroin is a slippery slope to heroin, and you should never try it even one time. And it's really helpful to have those conversations and have them often. That's super smart to be, I mean, because then they believe you. Like there's right. the Freaks and Geeks episode or the dad in Freaks and Geeks who's always saying like, pot will kill you, everything will kill you. Like that's the that's sort of the stereotypical parenting advice, but... What you're talking about is really smart. If I were in your family, I would be spending a lot of time gaming out what are the most interesting <laughs> things that are not on the list. <laughs> like I'm already wondering, LSD, is that on the list? I yeah, feel it's like there's, the it's only a matter of time before your checklist, your sweet yeah. early morning routine checklist turns into the heroin list. Yeah, LSD's on the list. <laughs> LSD is on the list. Oh, okay. It is, yes, because there's somebody in my family who tried LSD once and ended up becoming like having all these health problems later in life. So that's on our list. I yeah, LSD's on the list. All right, Gabe, did cool. you do no. a lot of LSD Sorry, when you were 15? I, it's, the question isn't whether I did a lot of LSD <laughs> when I was 15. You just do it 15. once. That's the question. The, 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 the question is <laughs> what would be on my list, and I'm right. not sure that – anyway. Uh, <laughs> tell us what would be on your list on Facebook. This is good. Yeah, tell us what would be on your list on Facebook. Very good. I thought you were addressing that to me. I'm not going to tell you what would be on my list. No. But um, yeah, join our Facebook group, facebook.com slash group slash Slate Parenting. Let us know what would be on your list of things that your kid is never allowed to do even once. And uh, we will try to come up with great ideas for fun activities that are not on your list. Can I just add one more thing? Sure. That rule about picking people up with no consequences, no, you know, problems later. We also have that rule where if Henry has a friend that's in trouble, uh, in particular, this has come up around consent and girls and sex and drinking. Like if he has a friend who's in trouble, male or female, or he perceives a situation that he knows is going awry, that we have like a safety valve procedure where he can just like text me and be like, hey, can you come in, uh, come over? And this has never happened, but can you come over and say that uh, so-and-so's... Uh, mother said that they need to be picked up and just like be cool about it and just like take them out of the situation like he knows which friends for instance wouldn't be comfortable calling their parents in those situations and so we just have a policy that's like anyone who needs to be picked up you can just tell me and then we'll deal with the other side of it the other we'll deal with that after but if there's an unsafe situation and someone needs it out like I'm happy to always be that out nice 
every group of friends needs the one liberal parent who can help them out in times of trouble. It's absolutely true. We had one too. And I don't know that we would have gotten through adolescence unharmed if it hadn't been for Nikki's mom. That's right. To Nikki's mom. <laughs> she was great. Go Nikki's mom. Let's drink a beer to Nikki's mom, shall we? Let's drop some acid for Nikki's mom. <laughs> Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now is the time on our show when we recommend things for you. Allison, what do you recommend? I recommend John Grisham Books for Kids. Mm. Did I recommend this already? Not that I recall. Okay. I recommend John Grisham Books for Kids. Uh, John Grisham, the famous best-selling author of adult uh, thrillers, also has a series for kids called uh, Theodore Boone. It's the Theodore Boone series. Theodore Boone, Kid Lawyers, the first one. We read that one together. Harry and I read that one together. Pretty good. I've had a lot of trouble getting him into series. Like he doesn't, he's not interested in Harry Potter. He's not interested in Percy Jackson. For some reason, even though he's extremely afraid of the dark, he's extremely afraid of guns. He's extremely afraid of crime. Maybe some there's something comforting about actually reading about that stuff because he's really taken to these. Um, it's about a kid who wants to be a lawyer who has like a close relationship with a judge in town. His parents are lawyers, and he helps figure out uh, cases and crimes. Uh, and he seems to love them. Nice. I bet it sounds Eliza awesome. Like it sounds right up my alley. They're really good. I mean, I, I, I thought. I mean, I only read the first one. He's read three now, but I thought it was. I, I mean, John Grisham. He's you know, can write words for. Yeah. You know. Sure. <laughs> he's um, a bestseller for a reason. You yeah. Know. Exactly. <laughs> it's compelling stuff. Allison asks, "Did I recommend this already?" And that gave me an opportunity to look up John Grisham in the Slate Podcast Recommendations database, where I found Ooh. that she has not recommended yes. these books before. Phew. A lot of people ask us, uh, where can I find not just this week's recommendations, but all of the recommendations that anyone has ever made about anything ever? And the answer to that is you can find them on the Slate Podcast Recommendations Database or Endorsomatic, uh, but you can only access that database if you are a member of Slate Plus. So uh, slate.com slash momanddadplus uh, to get access to all of our recommendations back through time eternal. Rebecca, what do you recommend? Well, I was thinking about a couple weeks ago, you were talking about a book and you mentioned, it wasn't your recommendation, but you mentioned it in passing, Delary's Book of Greek Myths, which I think we all had as kids. Like it was, for me, I know it was like a reference book on my bookshelf when I was a kid. I had it from when I was little all the way through high school. And I would sometimes just pick it up and look at it, even when I'd aged out of it. And so I went up to my son's room to think about, to look for, you know, books that kind of are in that category of things that he's had for a long time that I know he still looks at once in a while. And I found two that I think I also had when I was a kid, and I think every kid should have a copy or two of these floating around. One of them is the Guinness Book of World Records, and one of them is the Rip the Ripley's Believe It or Not book. You know, if you've never seen these two books, I don't know how that's possible, but they're basically like lots of little tiny things, like the man with the world's longest fingernails, uh, the world's biggest basketball, uh, the world's biggest pile of spaghetti, and Ripley's Believe It or Not is a bunch of more like sort of freaky versions of that, you know, people who had 
had, you know, the world's biggest tumor removed or whatever. These are really fun little knowledge bites for kids. They've got great pictures. It's really fascinating to like talk about the person who was on a pogo stick for like four days for some reason in the Guinness Book of World Records. And it's, uh, you know, Teddy like last fall, we did like a huge book purge from his room and we like basically gave away everything that he had aged out of and he kept these and he's 15. So, and he's had them, you know, the Guinness Book of World Records was from 2010. <laughs> so <laughs> it's right there next to Larry's book of Greek myths. And so it resonates with kids. So I really recommend giving as a gift or just having around the house, um, Ripley's Believe It or Not and the Guinness Book of World Records. It's awesome. Uh, I'm also going to recommend a series of books. So that's three uh, book recommendations this week. Um, these are books called The Ultimate Construction Site Book, The Ultimate Book of Vehicles, and then there's others on uh, cities and The Ultimate Book of Airplanes and Airports. These are large pop-up books which have like flaps and sliding things and cool paper gizmos. They're beautifully done, and they are not for the very young children who typically get excited by the idea of a pop-up book. But if your kid is slightly older and likes vehicles or likes construction and is old enough to actually want to understand, like, well, what does an excavator do? What does a cement mixer do? How do you build a building? How do you erect a circus tent? What does a rocket do when it takes off? Um, they do dramatize and demonstrate all of these things and you unfold the flaps and you get to see inside all of the machines and how the stuff connects to all of the other stuff. I myself have learned a great deal about construction Gabe processes. Gabe really excited. He's making a lot of hand motions. <laughs> I, I really, like, I now understand, when we go past a building site, I can now understand what people are doing a lot better thanks to the Ultimate Construction Site book. Um, on the other hand, if you get it for a child who is still in the first phase of pop-up book uh, love, then you might find that when you come back to them a couple years later, many of the flaps have been torn off and the little moving sliding things no longer work. So you have to get another copy, which is what we just ordered. Um, this is the Ultimate Construction Site book and the other Ultimate books by Anne-Sophie Bauman, illustrated by Didier Balisevich. Um, the, the books were originally published in France. So in some cases, you get to see what French garbage trucks look like. And they're sort of much cooler <laughs> than our garbage trucks and more stylishly designed. And that would be our show for this week. If you have a question that you would like us to answer, you can call us at 424-255-7833 or send us an email at slate.com. If you are not in our Facebook group, you should be there. The conversation about last week's episode was extremely lively and vigorous and very smart and a lot of fun. For Allison Benedict and Rebecca Lavoie, I'm Gabriel Roth. We'll see you next week. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.